Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Eric Ward. This is um, going way back. We are going as far back as I think we possibly can. And it's not just a gentleman who was around back then or on a team back then. This guy... This guy did it. This guy's the man. This guy predates even the ability to be powered by I thought you were going to hold one note the entire time. Yeah. And that that would be some sort of record. Sure. But I'm not upset with the way you just brought it up at the end and, and, and closed it off quick. Mostly that was me running out of oxygen and, and just last gasp, uh, high pitch, uh, you know, help me call. I was trying to imagine where somebody just turns it on in the middle of that and assumes something's wrong with their speakers. Or they think it's like a tornado warning. <laughs> right. It's like, I better get shelter. <laughs> Something has gone terribly wrong. The bombs are coming. It's tornado season back in our beloved Indiana. So, Speaking of our beloved Indiana, I noticed that you brought a beverage with you today. Well, I did be, because, you know, I'm never one to miss out on my chance to own a piece of Hoosier history. And I'm drinking a cold brew coffee out of my signature pint glass. This has the the emblem on the floor from the 1970s on Assembly Hall floor on the court. And uh, if I hadn't been gifted four of these for doing these promos, I would just go to collegegradshop.com forward slash hysterics to get four more. It's just so easy to go to collegegradshop.com forward slash hysterics to get a piece of Hoosier history. You're absolutely right. However, if you go to collegegradshop.com backwards slash hysterics, you're going to get aggravated because you put in the wrong kind of slash. Why do we need two slashes? Why? Well, well again, this is a question for, for Al Gore, for Bill Gates. Yep. Um, and anybody else involved from, from with the people computers. at DOS? <laughs> DOS, sure. Who, Sh- who? Shout out DOS. Mr. DOS. Everybody knows Mr. <laughs> DOS. What does DOS stand for? Data uh, no. Operating System. There you go. I have no idea if that's true. Oh, you, you, it seemed like you asked the question and then realized the answer. No, 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 no. Just making it up. I like it. 
Maybe one of our listeners will tell us the real answer. I bet they will. Uh, but seriously, if you want to support us, obviously we do everything for free. But if you want to support us, we get a little piece of every glass bought on collegegradshop.com forward slash hysterics. So please feel free to go. The glasses are amazing. I have recently moved. And the first beverage I had at the new place was in a beautiful, beautiful pint glass with the same emblem that, that Ward was mentioning before. So they're great. They're very classy, very slick. And it just brings a smile to your face every time you pick it up. Just if you're drinking out of something with an Indiana logo on it, it just tastes better. Yeah, like you could write an I on your hand, cup your hands, and it would taste better. Sure, yeah. If it's not lead-based marker. But but that really works against us trying to get them to buy these things. It's true. <laughs> like, I could just cup it out of my hand. No, no, don't do that. Do not start. You, we don't want to start a massive trend here of people foregoing cups and glasses and just using their hands. That would be a bad idea. All right, well, listen. Let, we've bullshitted enough. Let's get to the real deal today because this is one that you have been talking about for over a year, that if we could ever figure out a way to make this happen... Uh, this would be truly historic and, and one that, you know, if what we're doing is in any part a oral history of the Indiana University men's basketball program, you can't do it without hitting this era and you can't do it without getting this man. And it's an honor. So let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hysterics Nation, the term legend gets tossed around way too easily. Uh, but today we have as big a legend in the state of Indiana in the game of basketball as there has ever been. Eric, will you please run down just a fraction of the many, many, many awards and accolades of this incredible gentleman? I could not be more excited to. Hailing from Terre Haute, Indiana, where he starred for Gerstmeyer Technical High School, made the All-State team in the state of Indiana, went on to play for Branch McCracken at Indiana University, where he was two-time All-Big Ten, All-American in 1954, two-time Big Ten champion, two-time NCAA tournament All-Region player, captain of the 1953 team, and of course, hit the game-winning free throw in the 1953 National Championship game against Kansas Jayhawks, bringing Indiana its second national championship and really solidifying the Branch McCracken era as legendary. He went on to play in the NBA. He had a seven-year career. He went on to coach in the ABA and the NBA. He was three-time ABA champion as coach of your Indiana Pacers. He is a 1982 IU Hall of Fame inductee and in 2014 took his rightful place in the National Basketball Hall of Fame. Please help us welcome Bobby Slick Leonard. Oh boy, it goes back. <laughs> Memories are great things. Memories are great things. Yeah, it's been a pretty good ride. It's been a, it's been, been a lot of fun. A uh, lot of great people along the way. You know, I look back now, here we are at Memorial Day, and I've had so many, uh, so many of my teammates, both at Gerstmeyer, my teammates at IU on that 1953 National Championship team, 
guys that I played with in the pro game, coached in the pro game. So many of them have passed away. So my tribute today would be to all those, all those great friends that I had in the, in the basketball world. Well, I, I was watching your Hall of Fame induction speech, and you did make mention of eight guys from your high school who played a very important role at the very beginning of your love affair of ba- with basketball, and it seems so appropriate for you to tell that story here on Memorial Day. You know, I lived in a Catholic neighborhood. I lived in a Catholic neighborhood in Terre Haute, and when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor December 7th, 1941, not only Gersmar High School, but all around the country, guys that were juniors and seniors in high school uh, joined the military. Joined the military. They joined up. And in my neighborhood, now I was about, at that time, I was about nine years old. Uh, These guys were my, uh, they were my high school heroes. They were playing football and basketball in high school. And then, then came the then came the Japanese attacking Pearl Harbor, joining up. Eight of them, eight of them, right away joined the Marine Corps, and they were in, they were in all the major landings in the South Pacific. You name one, they were in most of them. One or the other of them were in most of those. Uh, you know, Guadalcanal, Okinawa. If you've ever seen one of those beach landings when you're going against machine guns and everything that's already set in place waiting on you. It's a, it's a tough deal. And out of, out of those eight guys, all of them, all of them made it back. They all made it back. And, uh, Gersmar Tech being a, being a technical school, they had, uh, welding shops, wood shops, all those kind of things. And those eight guys in the neighborhood went back to night school, went back to night school to uh, get their high school diploma. And in the process, they built a basketball goal, and boy, was it a dandy. <laughs> Set it up in, down the alley in Sullivan's backyard. And uh, that's where it all started. That's where it all started. Sullivan's backyard. My my Marine buddies put that basketball goal up there for me, hmm. and they followed me all the way through my high school career, my college career. Some of them started coming into the pro game, but by that time they were getting up in age, and uh, of course, all of them now, all of those eight have passed away. Bobby, when you started playing basketball on that goal, did you, growing up in Indiana, have basketball heroes? Were you? Did you hear stories of Everett Dean and the people that came before? What What did basketball mean to you as a nine, ten, eleven year old kid? Well, uh, uh, basketball uh, to me, uh, it was more of the state of Indiana, more of the state of Indiana. Uh, at, at that particular point when I started, I didn't know who Branch McCracken was. Right. 
but the state of Indiana, the tournament, and the Wabash Valley tournament, which was the biggest non-state tournament in the United States, the Wabash Valley tournament, 116 teams. But the dream, there was a dream, and the dream for all kids my age and on before me and after me, the dream was to get the Butler Fieldhouse to the final four of the state championship. I think we all associate why basketball and Indiana have had such a love affair with each other, but it really never, that conversation really never goes before Branch McCracken or before Milan hits the incredible shot to win the state championship. And then, of course, it goes on to the, the Bobby Knight era and you and the Pacers. So can you help us at all figure out, even, even predating Branch McCracken, how did basketball become such a big deal in Indiana? Do you, did you experience any of that? Did you hear stories from, from earlier in the century that could help us fill in that, that era that is rarely discussed? Well, I, you know, back then, if you if you went down the you went down the, the, the schoolyards, the barnyards, the alleys, you'll see a basketball goal. Every place you went, you'd see a basketball goal. And there's kids out there in the snow shoveling the snow off. Uh, it didn't matter if it was 100 degrees out or it was sub-zero. They're out there shooting the basketball. And it just became a way of life. It became a way of life in, in, in Indiana on Friday night, on Friday night. Now, this is when they had one class basketball where it was winner take all for the state championship. On Friday night, the gyms all around the state of Indiana, the gyms were packed. The small towns, there were 716 teams entered in the state high school tournament. And so you can realize what a, what a wonderful thing if you could get to that final four at Butterfield House. So as you began your high school career, it, your, your entire basketball career is just touched with greatness from beginning to end. And let's start with your high school coach. Howard Sharp. Can you tell us a little bit about what he meant to you and also what his connection to uh, the greater world of basketball was? Howard Sharp uh, was probably, for me, starting out uh, at Gersmeyer, probably, the, and even up to this day, was probably as great a fundamental basketball coach as I've, as I've ever been around. Now, his tie-in, there was a tie-in there. And the tie-in was to Johnny Wooden. Uh, Johnny Wooden had, uh, was from Martinsville, Indiana. And he had a coach at Martinsville uh, that later on went to Indiana State Teachers College in Terrell. That was before the Bird era and Indiana State University. Uh, it was the Indiana State Teachers College, and uh, he he, uh, he he left Martinsville, and Johnny Wooden Johnny went on to uh, went on to Purdue, 
And when he went on to Purdue, Glenn Curtis was the coach's name, and he he took his, get this one, he took his triangle offense Whoa. from Martinsville, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he took his triangle offense from Martinsville, Indiana, to Indiana State Teachers College in in Terre Haute, and uh, uh, Glenn Curtis coached my coach Howard Sharp in uh, in college, and that's where uh, Sharpie became. Uh, you know, he became a master fundamentalist. Now it was obviously so competitive uh, at the single class level that your basketball team wasn't able to make it out of the sectional. But you were really, really good as a tennis player, too. And I was shocked to find out that you won the state championship as a a singles tennis player. Did you ever think about pursuing tennis beyond high school? Or did you decide, you know, no, basketball is going to be my thing early on? No, that was <laughs> that was the end of a kind of an interesting story. Kind of an interesting story. I used to cut grass in the neighborhood when I was a kid, and uh, I was cutting the grass for this this old older lady, and uh, she had she had the mower. It's just an old push mower. Uh, out in her shed, and I'd get that mower out, and I'd cut her grass. And one day I was putting the mower back in the shed, and she was standing there, and I was looking up on the wall of that old shed, and there was a tennis racket. And I kept looking at it and looking at it, and uh, she said, Bobby said, "Uh, would you like to have that tennis racket? And I said, boy, I sure would. I sure would. She said, that belonged to my son. And she said, my son got killed in the Normandy invasion. Wow. I took that tennis racket and got got a couple of balls somewhere. I don't know where I got them from. And I went over to the school, the big school, the high school, where they had some concrete, and I started hitting tennis balls off the wall. I taught myself how to play tennis. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I, I, I was pretty good. I was, you, you were the I best player good. in the state. Yes. I, was good enough, I, was, I was good enough to win it all. Yes. Well, obviously, Bobby, you were a hell of an athlete. So when you started playing basketball from 9 and 10 years old and you're shooting on that hoop that the eight gentlemen, the eight veterans from the war uh, built for you through now playing you know, for Howard Sharp, when did you realize, oh, you know what? I'm not, this isn't just fun. I'm really good at it. Was there a moment in high school where you just kind of thought, wow, this is going to become my life now? Well, if I look back, you guys are going to laugh. Uh, when, I, I, when I was a freshman at Gersmeyer, I was five foot four and a half. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Five, four and a half. And I and so I played on the, on the freshman team. I played on the freshman team, and all the kids, the kids on that freshman team, uh, uh, Ronnie Brewer, Dick McDuffie, Keith Youngin, they were bigger than me. <laughs> and uh, 
So then I went into my sophomore year, and between my freshman and sophomore year, uh, I grew to five ten and a half. Wow. Now, the reason I'm telling this story is because there's a lot of kids out there that think just because they're 5'5 five, five or 5'6 five, that they can't play, they got to realize that they're going to grow. They got to realize they're going to grow. They're, you know, they're, well, it happened to me. I could always, you know, I could shoot the ball, I could handle it and all those things. But I was on the B team again my sophomore year in high school. And then it happened for me. Uh, it happened for me I, between my sophomore and junior year. I grew to six, three and a half. Now I'm in the ball game. <laughs> now I'm in the ball game. And uh, I can very, I can very well remember uh, the first varsity game I ever played at Gersmeyer. Uh, we went down to uh, Bossy of Evansville. Mm. Now, Bossy had won a state title back in the mid 40s, 44, 45. They'd won. So they were a basketball school, you know, known for basketball. Bossy of Evansville. I went in there, and we were tremendous underdogs going into policy of Evansville and we 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 beat their behind we beat their behind <laughs> and uh and I scored uh, I scored 20 20 or 20 I know somebody just sent an article an old article to me I scored 20 points in that game well then after that game I started getting into the 30s and and uh games again I can remember games against East Chicago and Richmond Indiana and that where I had games in the 30s. So at that time, I knew that was my junior year. I knew that I was pretty good, but I never, ever gave it a – even thought about – I never, ever thought about going to college. Never thought about it. Well, you you were so tremendous. You were named an Indiana All-Star and of course, the Indiana Kentucky All Star Game predates it. It started in in 1940. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but you got to participate in that. And and if so, what was that like back then? What was the rivalry like between the two states? Because I I believe it was more competitive back then, and uh, Indiana wasn't quite so dominant like they've become. Well, that rivalry. <laughs> That rivalry going back to back all those years, <laughs> that rivalry still exists. It exists uh, for the high school kids. They still have that all-star game uh, home and away every year. And then it's always been a big rivalry, Indiana against Kentucky, because they're right, right next to each other on our border. And uh, there's been some great, great players come out of the state of Indiana, some great, great players come out of the state of Kentucky. And uh, the last championship we won, we won uh, with the Indiana Pacers was game seven at Freedom Hall in Kentucky for the ABA championship. 
and uh, that was in 1973. And I looked out there on the floor. I looked out there on the floor at that time I was coaching the Pacers. On the Kentucky team, there was three Hall of Famers that were going to eventually go into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Artis Gilmore, who was a great center at Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Issel, who was a great player at the University of Kentucky. And Louis Dampier, who was a great player at the University of Kentucky. But then I looked, uh, I looked over on our team, and we had four. We had four <laughs> players that would eventually go into the Naismith National Basketball Hall of Fame. And that was a player by the name of Gus Johnson. Gus Johnson. Now, a lot of people know, don't know who Gus Johnson was, but I drafted Gus Johnson on the second round out of the University of Idaho. <laughs> he was raised in Ohio, but he went out there to Idaho. I drafted him, and he came in, and when I, when I started coaching the Baltimore Bullets in the NBA, and Gussie ended up being he ended up being the reason he got into the National Basketball Hall of Fame. He ended up being one of the greatest, greatest, maybe the greatest defensive forward that ever played the game. Mm-hmm. And so I had him on that team. I'd brought him in after he'd had injuries and it was the end of his career and whatnot. Uh, I brought him in to play play with the Pacers. And then I, that front line that I had, the front line that I had with the Pacers uh, where we were in the championship series five times in eight years, the other three times we were in the conference finals, was Mel Daniels, played at New Mexico with our center, Roger Brown out of the University of Dayton. And then we brought in, we brought in a guy who was, well, awfully tough out of old IU. Yeah. <laughs> George McGinnis. George McGinnis. So that front line, and then, of course, you mentioned, you already mentioned that I went in the Hall of Fame in uh, 2014. So we had four or five guys at our end of the floor, and we ended up winning that game at Freedom Hall against Kentucky uh, to win the to win the uh, APA championship, and uh, the rest is history. Well, you, you can, of all people, you are most um, experienced and knowledgeable to settle this debate. Indiana is just simply better than Kentucky, right? Well, well I'll tell you, I, I always like to think that way. I like <laughs> to think that way. We agree. You're uh, in good company here. I, yeah, you guys are. You guys are IUers. Yeah. Hey, since I'm talking about IU, I'm going to tell you something, the way I feel. I'd like to see us, I'd like to see IU go back to the cream and crimson. The cream and crimson. That was IU colors. Yeah. I would like to see them go back to the Hurrian Hoosiers. We were known nationally as the Hurrian Hoosiers when I was at IU. Yes. And then after, that was in Branch's, Branch McCracken's, era, his coaching career of 25, 25 years at IU. 
And then the other thing that I would really like to see them do away with and put put, put on that big old satin like we like they should have a nice big satin warm up, you know, cream and crimson, and get rid of those damn pajama bottoms. Oh, you con- don't you, controversial. You don't like the candy stripes? No, no, no. <laughs> if you want to, if you're going to, if you're going to play basketball, play basketball. If you're going to go to sleep, get on, get your pajamas on. <laughs> And if if they don't mind, you know, since there's so much television and everything, I'd kind of like to see them put the players' names on the back of their jersey. Wow. You know, those things, cream and crimson, cream and crimson, uh, hurry and Hoosiers, no pajama bottoms, <laughs> names on the back of your jersey. That Now, now you know that um... – that the last one especially is going to get met with a lot of resistance because there is a thought at Indiana now, and for the last, I would say, 30, 40 years, that not having the names on the back of the jerseys is, is a good thing for Indiana because it means everybody's playing for the name on the front of the jersey, and it's not about individuality. What do you say to those people? Well, I, I, think, it's, I think here's what I'm thinking about for that. Is because a lot of us, <clears throat> a lot of us, we can't get down to games. Now, here I am sitting here talking to you guys today. I'm 87 years old. I can't get down to Bloomington like I used to. Mm-hmm. So I have to watch the games on television. And I, it would be nice for the older people to watch TV, and a lot of them do. A lot of them do. Sure that you can see the names of the players on the back of their uniform. Mm. You know what? I've never heard that argument articulated like that. I totally understand it. That makes a ton of sense. And since we're on the IU topic, let's go back because you mentioned that you had never even thought about going to college, even when you were a sophomore, junior in high school. So when did that change? And when did Branch McCracken come into your life? And how did that lead you to Bloomington? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how it happened. When I was uh, when I was uh, my senior year in high school, uh, you know, then I was scoring. You know, I was I was scoring, doing a lot of good things. So I had a lot of college offers. I had a lot of college offers. My buddies, my buddies in the old neighborhood. By that time, I moved away from the railroad tracks. But my Marines were still alive, and they wanted me to go to Notre Dame. And hold me, hold, I got recruited at Notre Dame. And uh, I went up there and sat down with the athletic director, and uh, and he, we talked Notre Dame, and uh, you know it was impressive. Uh, then I went down to uh, North Carolina State. North Carolina State, the coach that changed basketball at North Carolina State was a coach by the name of Everett Case. He had coached Frankfurt, Indiana in 1936 and 39. He had coached Frankfurt, Indiana to the Indiana State High School Championship. And back in those days, when you won 
in Indiana high school, you had chances for college jobs, and that happened many times. I went down there and met with met with Everett Case. Uh, he changed basketball in North Carolina, but long before North Carolina did, mm-hmm. North Carolina State. Yeah. And then the only other trips I made, I made a trip down to Louisville, trip down to Louisville, which wasn't very far away. And on that, on that, the very next weekend, there I went into Lexington, Kentucky. <laughs> the evil empire. And Adolph Rupp was there. Oh, good old Adolph. You know, good old Adolph. And we had uh, Adolph didn't do a lot of coaching. He had an assistant coach that did. Was if you talk to real Kentucky people, they know the the assistant coach was doing an awful lot of the coaching. Mm. They had a player that was in the gym. That was in the gym down there uh, working out. That was the twelfth man on the uh, Kentucky varsity, and he was in summer school to try to make his grades so he'd be eligible come next season. And so the coach says, uh, we're shooting around, shooting around, shooting around. All of a sudden, into the gym walks Adolph. And he said, hey, boys. <laughs> he said, I want to see the two of you play a game to 30 against each other. Let's see who's the best. Well, here, here's a 12 man on our varsity, and I just got out of the senior year in high school, and I beat his butt. Yes, <laughs> yes. Hey, when that happened, oh, Adolph, boy, he perked up. <laughs> he said, get in there and get a shower. We're going downtown to a hotel. By the time we got down to the hotel, there were three doctors sitting at the table, big Kentucky, uh, Kentucky boosters, and – Seth Hancock was his name. Seth Hancock was the owner of Claiborne Farms. Big horse farm in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Big Kentucky backer. And so we went over everything, and uh, they wanted me to come to Kentucky. And uh, right at the end of the, the, at the end, they said, and by the way, Said we got a, we got a big racetrack out here. I'm sorry, maybe maybe one of you fellows can I can't think of the name of it right now. Of course, on down the road is Churchill Downs, but uh, they they had to get the big the big uh, nationally known racetrack at uh, at Lexington, and uh, they said anytime you go out there, Keeneland was it Keeneland? Yes, sir. You called it right on the money, Keeneland. Yeah, Keeneland. And uh, yeah, it was Keeneland. And they said, anytime you go out there, you've got a $100 voucher to bet on the horses. Whoa, 100 well, Right bucks. away, they broke the NCAA rules. <laughs> right they've, right they've been dirty forever. <laughs> uh, but uh, that was that. And then, of course, from there, when I first met Branch, Sharpie, Sharpie said, uh, Branch McCracken, who's a, a huge name in Indiana. I mean, let's face it, huge name. He said the coach at IU is going to come over and wants to visit with you. He's coming through Terre Haute and he wants to visit with you. 
Well, that happened. That happened. And when Branch uh, came over, we sat down in there and talked about IU basketball. And and by the time he left, I knew where I was going. <laughs> I knew I knew where I was going. And you know what? Of course, I was from a I was from a pretty poor family, and it was just about getting graduation time. Branch broke the rules too, I guess, because <laughs> he bought my first graduation suit wow. to graduate from high school. Wow! And so IU and the rest is history. <laughs> you decided that Bloomington was the next stop for you. Can you describe to us what it was like to show up as a freshman in Bloomington in 1950? And and we, we all had that magical experience. Uh, for us, it was in the 90s. But but what was it like for you coming from Terre Haute? Well, it, uh, the first thing the first thing Branch did, the Branch said, "Now look, uh, I didn't have anything to do. He wanted me to come down there prior to my freshman year in the summer. That summer." And before my freshman year, and he got me a job. And he got me a job as the shale boy. The shale. You have to know what shale is. Yeah. Shale boy in a quarry, in a stone quarry. And that is when they're chopping all that stone and all that, the shale that comes yeah. off there. I was, picking, I was picking that stuff up in a big cart and hauling it, hauling it to uh, uh to a designated spot, and uh, the temperature got so bad down there in that down in that stone quarry. And you guys have been being an IU'er, you know what stone quarries are. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, it was hotter in blazes. Here's what Branch said. He said, "Boy," he said, "I'll tell you one thing. I know." He said, "I know it's it's a tough job." He said, "Boy, you're going to get a nice tan." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember him saying that. But, uh, yeah, so uh, back then you had to play freshman ball. You had to play freshman ball. You couldn't play on the varsity. And the amazing thing about it, they changed the rule the next year. Had I been a year later, I would have been able to play varsity basketball. But the year that uh, we all came, uh, you had to play freshman ball. Real quick, real quick, Slick. Why do you think Branch got you that job? Did, was he trying to help you to get money, or did he want to instill discipline? What, what was it? Uh, why did he think it was important for you to have that job? Well, I, I think he wanted to, wanted to put me to work. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted <laughs> to see my work ethic. <laughs> okay. And, boy, he sure, hey, he sure tested me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> that, was, that was tougher than nails down in there. But you know what? A lot of those guys down there, those quarry guys that I worked with, that summer became some of my biggest backers when I started started my freshman year basketball. As a matter of fact, they taught me how to play six card stud poker. <laughs> yes, I never heard of six card. I know five card and seven card. I don't know six card yeah. stud. Well, this was the old two down, four up, six card. Yeah, yeah. They taught me how to play that, and it got me in a little trouble later on, but. Uh, <laughs> Those are my buddies. Yeah, those are my buddies. Well, and and maybe I'm I'm going too far with this theory of why Branch maybe wanted you to have such a physically demanding job in preparing to come into his program, but those hurry and Hoosiers, 
not only were you required to push the, the ball up the floor on offense, especially you as the point guard, but you had to play some lockdown, aggressive man-to-man defense. You, you had to be in great shape to play for Coach McCracken. How did he go about conditioning you besides you make, making you grind it out in the quarries? We had a freshman coach out of Jeffersonville, Indiana, by the name of Lou Watson. Wow. Who later became later became the head coach at IU. And played for IU before that. And played for IU. And the other story about Lou, though, Lou, Lou came back to school, came back to IU uh, in his later 20s. And uh, he was, he survived the second wave at Normandy. Hmm. He survived that second wave at Normandy. Wow. When you're going in there and those those Germans are in a lockdown on you and mm-hmm. Louis survived it. And he was a great guy. Great guy. And so we, we went through normal conditioning, but at the end at the end we always had uh, a race. And uh, now you fellows went down to IU. When did you go down to IU? The late nineties. Late when? The late 1990s. Okay, yeah. See, so back, you, 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 you were there after the university got all built up down there on uh, 10th Street and all around there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, back, back when I was down there, that was all woods. <laughs> that was all woods. They, they developed a, uh, a run through those woods and down in through there, a five mile run on the last day of freshman practice. And, uh, so we had some guys on that freshman team that had run, run high school track, you know, so it was pretty good. But anyway, we ran the five, we ran the five miles and I think I finished third in that. But I said, uh, my, my thing was after that, after that, we had that race, uh, when you're still a freshman, you're practicing upstairs and everything. I used to go out there and run that, run that uh, that outdoor layout in the woods. I used to run that many times. After every, I'd go up after after I got out of class. I'd go up. Uh, we'd have we'd have practice. We'd have uh, practice. Practices weren't long and everything, but because all you're doing is playing freshman ball. But. Uh, uh, I'd go out there in the woods and run that five miles every day. I run that five miles. And uh, so, you know, I got myself in. I was in great condition. And to play at IU then, to play at IU, there were, which is normal for basketball, you know, rebounding and defense are the name of the game. Uh, and Branch was, that was his, that was his cup of tea. And we played, uh, Rebounding was vicious, vicious, because in order to have a fast break like he wanted, they got the nickname around the country of the Hurrying Hoosiers. Mm-hmm. You had to have great rebounding. You had to have great rebounding. And the other thing, so you could steal the ball sometime, we played full-court pressure. Full-court pressure, uh, rebounding, and a very simple offense, a very simple offense. And uh, so it wasn't complicated, 
but uh, it got the job done. <laughs> yes, it did. You know, we we have not had the pleasure of talking to someone who played directly for Branch McCracken. Did we? The, the Van Arsdale. Oh, I'm sorry. We, we talked to the Van Arsdales. Scratch that. But uh, we had the chance to talk to the Van Arsdales who played directly for Branch McCracken. But obviously, we don't get to talk to too many people. What can you tell us about Branch and tell our listeners? Just describe Branch to us. What kind of guy was he? What kind of coach was he? You know, it's kind of funny that you guys are calling me today because in the in the last two weeks, in the last two weeks, I've I've talking to uh, Tommy Van Arsdale twice, oh, and yes. John McLaughlin from Franklin, yes, from what? Franklin, Indiana, that uh, played with the Milwaukee Bucks. His uh, his brother, his brother died here. And I called Johnny in Milwaukee, and I told him Nancy and I, Nancy and I had plenty of bedrooms here, and uh, that he could come and stay with us uh, while he was going to through the funeral services and that. So after that call to John McLaughlin, knew he's so close to he played at IU with the Van Arsdales. Mm-hmm. They, <laughs> Tommy Van Arsdale called. He said. Hey, Slick, he said, why didn't you offer us a place to stay when we came to Indiana? <laughs> so I have great relationships with those kids uh, all through that era. Uh, all up into that era, I had great relationships with those kids. Uh, and you asked me a, you asked me a question, which I can uh, – what was the question you wanted me to ask? Could you do us uh, the the pleasure of describing Branch McCracken to us? Obviously, we didn't have any uh, ability to meet the man or get to know him, and most of our listeners haven't either. But help us uh, get a peek behind the curtain of this legend of Indiana basketball. Well, I, you know, I have to, as I said here, I have to thank a Branch. And Branch was like a father to me. He was like a father to me, no question about it. Uh, I was with him. I was with him uh, the day before he died in the, at the hospital. Uh, I was Paul buried his funeral. We we uh, we buried him over in. Uh, you, you know, funny thing, him and him and him and uh, Johnny Wooden played against each other in high school. Hmm. Amazing. Uh, so, uh, Branch. Branch was just a big old, about six five, tougher than nails, tougher than nails, but I had a heart of gold. You know, I, there was times in my early time at, at 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 IU that he wasn't too satisfied with me, especially my freshman year, because I was playing my old my old buddies that he lined up the job with in the quarry. They had a weekly Weekly card game down in the pool room downtown there on Walnut on Walnut <laughs> Avenue. Yeah, mm-hmm. up over up over that pool room, and I'm down there playing quarter half, six card stud. <laughs> and guess what happens? In comes the police. They raid the damn joint. <laughs> so here I am, and while all the guys are running for the doors to try to get out. I'm scraping all the quarters and halves in my pocket <laughs> off the table. 
<laughs> but anyway, you got to know Branch pretty quick uh, because he, uh, the next day there was an article in the paper about the raid, the Bloomington paper, <laughs> and uh, they named all these guys. And their wives got all upset because my name wasn't in it. <laughs> they said, well, where was Bobby Leonard's name? You know, she, they called, it was a couple of wives called the university. Well, I was over at the fraternity house, and you get a phone call. get a phone call. I suppose it was about noon or so, because I was waiting tables. And uh, it was Branch. And here was his words, boy. And this is, uh, I remember this so well. He said, Leonard, be in my office at 3 o'clock. Boom, hung up the phone. Hey, <laughs> I, I, I knew I was in serious trouble. I knew I was in serious trouble. But uh, so I was there at 3 o'clock, and he got me in his office, and he took me up one side and down the other. <laughs> uh, really laid out the law, and I'm telling you, uh, a normal guy had been scared to death. But uh, when he got through, I started to walk to the door. And he said, hey, boy, he said, I'm going to tell you one thing. He said, if I ever have to call you into this office again, he said, only one of us is going to walk out. <laughs> and I was, I was at the door. I remember this so well. I was at the door. And I said, yeah, and you know who that would be running out. <laughs> and you know what? That cemented a relationship between him, me and him. I knew damn well when I ran down that hallway after getting out, I knew he was sitting there laughing. <laughs> I know he was. But that's, that, that, that meeting right there, uh, that was, <laughs> I look back today, <clears throat> That was a father-son meeting. That's mm -hmm. what it was. And uh, so we, we had a great, great, great relationship all my time at IU. And, uh, you know, he was, he was such a wonderful guy, wonderful coach. Uh, uh, he died at an early age, he died when he was 62. Mm. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a story. The IU Hospital. We had just won in 1970. We had just won our first ABA championship. Uh, we beat Los Angeles, that first ABA title. And so we gave the guys a reward. We sent them all the team to Bermuda. But Branch was down in the hospital, and I knew he was, I, I got, I had inside sources. I knew he was in bad shape, real bad shape. So I said, I, I told Nancy, I told my Nancy, I said, you know, I'm not going to go to Bermuda. I said, I got to go down there and be with Branch. So I went down to the hospital, and Branch was all wired up. And right before I left, he motioned for me to come over to the bed. And so I went over, and I leaned over. And he said, he said to me, he said, now, I don't ever want you to take that job down there as long as that SOB is down there. Now, 
the SOB that he was talking about was Bill Orwig. <laughs> Bill Orwig was the athletic director, and he was a Michigan man. <laughs> and he was very jealous of Branch because Branch was so very popular. Right. He didn't have near the popularity of Branch. And so Branch said that to me. Well, the amazing thing happened. The amazing thing that happened was I gave it no more thought. Uh, we buried Branch over in Monrovia, Indiana. Nancy, Nancy and I are at the house, and I get a phone call. And it's Bill Arwig. And uh, he wanted me to take that coaching job. Wow. Wow. Wanted me to take the coaching job. Now, this is like in, oh, I don't know. It's like in January that. So, obviously, you know, he, he was going to fire Lou Watson. Right. And uh, he wanted me to take a coaching job. And I said, you know, I'd been through the wars by then. I'd already played pro ball and coached pro ball. And I said, you know, I said, uh, I, I said that, I said, that really doesn't fit fit me. I said, because I, I said, I, I, I'm not the type of guy to be worrying about kids 16, 17 years old going to class and uh, showing up to practice and all the things, and their moms and dads screaming at me because <laughs> I'm not playing enough. And uh, so I, tur I turned it down. Unbelievable. Now, in February... February, I got another call from him. That was the second call. And that first call, we've got that on our telephone. Uh, you know, Nancy uh, put it on the phone line. Anyway, uh, he said, would you meet me down at the Indianapolis Athletic Club? And I thought, oh, no, here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. And I thought... Well, you know, uh, I got to treat the guy halfway right. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you down there. So I met him down there, and again, he offered me the job. That's two times that he offered me that job within a three-month period of time. And uh, then right after that, you know who took the job? Yes. Coach Robert Bob Montgomery Knight. Knight. He, he hired Knight, and uh, it worked out better for everybody, really, <laughs> because we went ahead and won championships yeah. in the ABA, and Bobby was more of a college-type coach anyway, and he won some championships at IU, and uh, uh, well, he won three of them. Yeah. Yeah, he won three championships. You, we won, you three won three, championships. and Coach Knight won three. I mean, kind of perfect. The whole state, yeah, the whole state worked, worked out. out. It really worked did. Out perfect. I did what I wanted to do. Knight did what he wanted to do, and the rest is history. Have you ever told so, Coach Knight? Have you ever had the opportunity to tell Coach Knight that story? Does he know that? He knows it. He knows that. Uh, no, I never did. I never did uh, uh, tell him that the only way you got the job was I turned it down. <laughs> That'd be a good thing. I didn't tell him that. I didn't, no, but uh, but 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 I I know that he knew that. I know that he knew that. As a matter of fact, his wife his wife and Nancy became friends, and she called Nancy. Oh, must have been within the past year, I think. Uh, 
within the past year, uh, Nancy and I called my, my Nancy because my, 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 my oldest daughter, who was at IU before you fellows were, she babysat for Pat Knight. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so Nancy called her, and she said, she told, she told uh, my Nancy, she told my Nancy, she said, she said, your husband is the only guy that I know that it intimidated Bob Knight. Wow. You've mentioned your Nancy a couple of times, and if I have the, the timeline correctly, you met who would be your greatest teammate throughout your entire life, and, and now uh, your wife of over 60 years in Bloomington. Was that, was that your freshman year in 1950 when, when you found true love? 1950? Hey, you guys got it right on the money. 1950, we were both freshmen at IU, and uh, she was from South Bend, Indiana, and I was from Terre Haute, and we were in a class together. It, it got to be, she was the prettiest girl in the class, number one. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had my eye on her from the get-go. <laughs> and uh, it got finals time. It got, or mid-year, mid mid-year finals, uh, mid-year exams. And so uh, I didn't really know what the hell uh, I, I thought to myself. So I, I go into the class, and I sat up there behind her. I sat up behind her. The guy, the guy, the professor passes out the the, the, the test, and I'm going through that thing. You know how you leave through the test real quick to see what you're getting into? Sure. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what the hell it was all about. <laughs> I didn't have a clue. I know that <laughs> feeling. I know that feeling. Yeah, you've been there. You guys been there. Yeah. <laughs> so I leaned, uh, that whole thing, I kind of leaned over the top of her shoulder, and I copied everything that she put down <laughs> on that test. <laughs> Hey, if you guys could have seen this professor about four or five days later or whatever it was, when he came in and passed out the tests, he came in and passed them out. Yeah. He says, uh, he said, now, uh, we've only got two people in here that made straight A's on the test. <laughs> hey, this guy, you should have seen this. No good. And she said, he says, he says, Nancy Root, her name was Root. Nancy Root, he didn't, the damn guy didn't even mention my name and gave me the dirtiest look you've ever seen. <laughs> he knew exactly what I did. <laughs> now, with a name like, with a nickname like Slick, it means you have to be pretty good with the ladies. So how did you make your move to, to show Nancy that, that you were the right guy for her? Well, you know what? I didn't have the nickname of Slick then. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have the nickname of Slick. I didn't get the nickname of Slick until I got in. I was playing in the NBA. After that, we had, I, I asked her if she would uh, go out. And she, she wasn't too high on it. She wasn't too high on it. But she, so I said, uh, we're, going, we're going over to an IU game. 
I don't know. Well, you guys played in, in Assembly Hall when you were down there. But we, we played at the old field house. And uh, you have to go up a, a ramp to get in the, up, up the ramp to go in the back of the field house, the old field house. Well, uh, she and her girlfriend, I didn't show up for the date. So her and her girlfriend, she got a girlfriend. She said, well, let's just go over there ourselves. So they're going up that ramp. They're going up that ramp. And they heard the loudspeaker announcer say, basket by Leonard. (laughs) She didn't even know I played basketball. (laughs) And boy, it put it shocked her a little bit. But that's how... That's how we uh, we we first got going, and then uh, then after that uh, we uh, you know you know the the uh, the, the, the pins the uh, fraternity pins. Mm-hmm. I I I gave her my fraternity pin on January the fifteenth, nineteen fifty one. Still freshman. Wow. I gave her my, my fraternity pin. Well, that was that was a long time ago because we went all the way through IU together. She's seen more damn basketball games than she ever thought she'd see. <laughs> uh, went through all the way through IU together, and we got married the day after we graduated. Wow. We got married the day after we graduated in South Bend, Indiana. And you think that wasn't a hurry, scurry. To go down to IU to graduation and boom, right up to South Bend to get married. Wow. So that was that was that was June the fifteenth, nineteen fifty four. Well, on June the fifteenth, next month, uh we will we will have been married sixty Six years. Wow. Just tell us how. What do you, come on, what's the secret? Give us something. The secret? The secret between Nancy and I? Yeah. We loved each other. (laughs) That's it. That's it. We love each other, and uh, it's always been that way. Uh, Now, you know, I had to go around on a damn walker and actually... She, uh, I, I say she's, uh, she gives me my, my cell phone and she keeps her cell phone. If I'm in another room, I can call her. And, uh, she picks up the phone when I call her. She says the nurse's station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, she waits on me hand and foot. Uh, God bless her. She's my, she has always been, uh, my angel. She's been my angel. So six, 66 years next month. Five children, five children, a lot of, a lot of grandchildren, some great grandchildren. So it's been we've, uh, she and I have both been blessed, and uh, you know it's, it's been a wonderful life. But boy, she, like I said, she has, she, she hey, she knows what this basketball game is all about because she's seen it at. She's seen it at the college level, the pro level, the coaching, the broadcast, everything. So she knows what it's about. Well, this was something we were going to say for a little later, but as it came up, getting that wonderful nickname, 
that so many generations of, of Pacers fans have known you by and, and even previous in your, your playing years of Slick. Could you please share with us the story of how you received that nickname? Well, I, I was playing then, and I, and I told you guys I was on I was on that first Los Angeles Laker team in 1960. Prior to that, I was in Minneapolis with the Minneapolis Lakers. And uh, we had, there had been a little change in coaching. Uh, The coach there for the Lakers, Minneapolis Lakers had won four world championships in in the early 50s. And they had a player by the name of George Mikan, who was the first great center uh, in NBA history. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they changed the they changed the lines on the uh, they changed the, the uh, rebounding lines on free throw lines. Uh, they widened they widened that gap. Uh, you know, it was six feet. I think they took it to eight. Uh, so because he just dominated the game inside uh, but George George was uh, there and right after I got there Johnny Kundla for whatever reason I don't know if it was sickness or whatever George George took over the coaching and we had just drafted a player out of the University of West Virginia big name in, in West Virginia we just drafted a player by the name of Hot Rod Hundley down in West Virginia. He was the forerunner. Hot Rod was the forerunner of three straight All-American guards out of University of West Virginia. It was Hot Rod Hundley. Next one was Jerry West. And the next one was Rod Thorne. And I was, in my career, I've been associated with all of them. But anyway, the management thought we ought to take a couple exhibition games with Rod's popularity, a couple exhibition games into West Virginia. So we played the first night in Morgantown, which is the home of the University of West Virginia. After the game, we get on a bus. We've got about 130 miles to go to the next town and, and camp in and play the next night. So we're on the bus, we're on the bus going up through the mountains in West Virginia. And all the players, all the guys are asleep except George and I. We're sitting up in that front seat with those spotlights, those little dinky lights on, playing Hollywood Gin. (laughs) That's what we're doing. And... You looked out on the side of the road, and there was a big sign, truck stop, five miles. Well, you know, in those mountains, they don't have, it's a long distance between truck stops. So the truck stops are huge. They're monstrous. Anyway, we start pulling in the, uh, in the, into the, the truck stop, and George says to me, he said, uh, Bobby, he said, you think we ought to, pull in there and let the guys get a get a cup of coffee and a sandwich. I said, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Well, when we pulled in there, the bus driver stopped the bus. Players start waking up, start waking up. All the lights are on in the bus. 
And about that time, I blitzed George all the way across in that Hollywood gin game. <laughs> and here were his words to me. He said, how about buying me a cup of coffee? You're too slick for me. Wow. And those guys heard him say that, and they started calling me that. And that was back in the late, latter 50s. Wow. That is sensational. Uh, I, it, it, ha it just sprung in my mind to go from George Mike and, you know, like you said, the first great center in the NBA. Now let's go back, you know, 15 years to a great teammate of yours and one of the all-time great players at Indiana University, another great center, Don Schlunt. What can you tell us about Don Schlunt? Oh, Don was, Don was something special. He, uh, he could shoot the ball. <laughs> if they had three-pointers back then, if they had three-pointers today, he was good enough to shoot three-pointers. Wow. But uh, he was, he was, uh, he was six, six ten maybe, and uh, six, yeah, Don was six ten. Uh, and, uh, he was our center. He was our center on that, on those, on those big 10 champions and national championship teams. Uh, he was our center. He was our go-to guy. He was our go-to guy. In other words, uh, my career at IU, I was not looked at as if you go back and look at, uh, I think I averaged in my three year varsity career, I think I averaged around 16 points a game, but that was not what I was there for. I was there to feed the ball into the low post <laughs> to Don Schlein. And I'll tell you one thing, <laughs> I didn't mind doing it at all because I tell you, you get the ball into him at the low post and he'll get it in the hoop for you. <laughs> uh, well, just a great guy, great teammate. I can't say enough about him. He, he died at a very young age. He died when he was 52 years old. He had a scoring record at IU after all those years. It took a long time to break that record. So the, the biggest game that I can remember, I can remember so many of them, the big teams that kept us in the Big Ten, in the Big Ten, and you guys are very aware of those Big Ten teams. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I was at IU, Iowa was good. Minnesota was good. Uh, but our, our main rival was University of Illinois mm -hmm. with Johnny Red Kerr, mm. who later played years and years in the NBA, had a, had a wonderful career, was the, uh, and then, uh, Johnny, Johnny ended up his, his pro career being the announcer, uh, for the, uh, being the TV announcer on the TV team for the Chicago Bulls when, uh, when, when Michael Jordan was playing. So, uh, but at any rate, anyway, the first one we won, the first one we won, we were, and that was in 53. We go into the university of Illinois and they had a heck of a ball club. And that was Huff Jim was the name of the gym there. And the fans sat right down on top of you. It was a tough place to play in. And we went in there 15-0 and 0 in the Big Ten. That was the first year 
in the Big Ten of round robin where you played everybody twice. You played everybody twice. Mm-hmm. So we got, this is our 16th game. And we played, if I look back now, that's the greatest game we ever played. Wow. It's the greatest game we ever played. Uh, Don Don had a big game. Uh, uh, everybody that we played that night had a big game, it seemed like. And uh, we beat them at Illinois to win the Big Ten Championship, 91-79. to 79. So the Hurry and Hoosiers put 91 up on the board, and it was enough. Yes, it was. Wow. But let's and get that was a great game. But now I go to the greatest game, yeah. or well, another great game for Don. Uh, Don was we going back then? You had to win the Big Ten championship to get into the NCAA tournament. Right. They didn't take teams that finished second, third, fourth, and fifth like they do today. And uh, so we <clears throat> we were the central. Uh, we had to go to Chicago Stadium uh, for the Chicago for the regionals of the NCAA tournament, and the four teams that were there were DePaul University out of Chicago, who had a heck of a ball club. Uh, University of Pennsylvania was the Ivy League champion, and uh, Notre Dame was a team at large, and of course. Indiana. We beat DePaul the first night, and uh, Notre Dame beat Pennsylvania. So the next night's a big the big matchup, and you can imagine Chicago being that close to South Bend, being that close to South Bend. You can imagine Chicago on a Saturday night <laughs> at Chicago Stadium. Oh yeah, and you get. You can imagine how wild Chicago was because they got all those, all those Notre Damers up there. But anyway, uh, that ball game, that particular ball game, uh, Don hit them, hit Notre Dame with 41. Wow. Hit them with 41. Mm-hmm. And uh, we uh, that, that sent us on to Kansas City for the Final Four. Now, just to orient the listeners a little bit, can you talk about who the starting five was on this incredible 52-53 team and kind of what role each of you played out there for, for Coach McCracken? Oh, those, those, that, was a, that was a special team. I'll tell you how special it was. Branch, when you, when you play freshman ball, you played in the old gym upstairs. You play freshman ball. And you never go down and play on the big floor down in the old field house. Well, Branch had a ball club at that particular time when I was a freshman. He had a, he had a ball club with Bill Garrett and Gene Ring, a bunch of guys that were rated third in the country. They were rated third in the country. And about a little over halfway through, uh, a little over halfway through the uh, season, Branch said to Branch said to Lou Lou Watson, our freshman coach, he said, "Hey Lou, he said, uh, why don't you bring those kids downstairs? First time he'd ever done it." He said, "Bring them downstairs, and uh, we're going to have a little scrimmage." Well, we go downstairs, 
and he set he set two quarter two eight two eight minute quarters up on the score up on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Two eight minute quarters, and we went against that ball club was red third in the country at that time with that freshman team, and we finished the eight minute quarters, finished first eight minutes. And Branch said to Lou, he said, Lou, he said, take him back on upstairs. He said, I've seen enough. We were beating, we were beating it <laughs> as far as any team. Yeah. He said, take him on back upstairs. <laughs> and uh, and we, we, we were pretty good. Uh, uh, if I go back and I look over that ball club now, I've just had some, you know, as time goes here, you have have teammates that have passed away. There's only, at last count, I think there's only three of us left off that 53 national championship team. But uh, if I went to that starting lineup, we had uh, Burke Scott out of Tell City, Indiana, at one guard. We had myself out of Terre Haute, Indiana, at the other guard. We had Don Schlunt out of Washington Clay in South Bend at center. We had a great defensive forward, a great defensive forward by the name of Dick Farley out of Winslow, Indiana. And then at the other forward, we had a big rebounder to get that fast break star by the name of Charlie Crock out of Collinsville, Illinois. And that was uh, the way we started out. But we had a bench. We we had a bench that was out of sight. We had a bench that was out of sight. So you didn't see that much difference when we made substitutions. It didn't uh, it didn't cost us nothing. Who who were some of the key uh, players coming off the bench for that team? Guys coming off the bench. We had uh, Jimmy DeKine out of Fortville, Indiana. We had uh, Lou Scott. Out of Chicago, Illinois, we had Jim Schooley out of Auburn, Indiana. We had Dick White out of Terre Haute, out of Terre Haute. Yes. Uh, we had Phil Byers out of Evansville, and we had Polly Poff, who just passed away. We had Polly Poff out of New Albany. Uh, that that. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any. No, there's that's the team. Ones. That's the team. You nailed it. Did uh, I? You did. I, well, I you, don't for, you, don't, you don't forget that when you win national championships. <laughs> yeah, you forget the people on the teams that you lose. Those people you don't remember. Yeah. But when you win, you remember everybody. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I have to say, your career, I mean, you are the Forrest Gump of basketball. Just anybody that meant anything to the game. I mean, from George Mikan to George McGinnis to everybody in between, Larry Bird. I mean, you have just been Jerry West. You have been attached either with, playing against, associated with every big name in the game of basketball. And no greater example of this is the 1953 championship game. Oh, wait. We can't get there yet. Oh, okay. What do we have to cover? Okay, but we, we what we have to cover is that you guys had one of the most incredible regular season runs of any IU team in history because you lost two of your first three. But then you guys won 
every single what I believe seventeen straight, and then and then the the games you did lose. Can you tell us how close you only lost three games that season heading into the tournament? How close were those games that you did lose? Three games, three games, three games by seven points in five seconds. Oh man, that went right to the wire. Went right to the wire. As a matter of fact, guy I later played with that played at the University of Minnesota by the name of Charlie Mensel. Charlie Mensel and then a dear friend of mine. It's uh, we talk, still talk on the phone together. Another guard from up there by the name of Dick Garmaker at Minnesota. We went into Minnesota. We went into Minnesota. The same barnyard or whatever they want to call it. <laughs> in the same gym that they play in today. Yeah. Same gym. Seats seats over twenty thousand. Uh the, 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 the floor is set up above a little bit above where you sit on the bench. Right. Because you have, you have to get up and go up. That night, I never will forget that night, we're seventeen and oh. We've already won the Big Ten championship. We go in to play Minnesota. And I told you Minnesota was one of the stronger teams in the Big Ten. Uh, when I mentioned Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, uh, we go in. We always took cabs from the. We always took cabs from the hotel to the arena. And so here we come. It is fifteen below zero. <laughs> 15 below zero. And here we come. And we're up with these cabs. Here's a line of three quarters of a mile waiting to get into the damn gym. Wow. Hey, you know what? Those people up there, that doesn't even bother them. <laughs> no, that's warm. That's toasty. Yeah, that's warm weather up there. <laughs> but anyway, we go in there. The game goes to the wire. We're up one. And uh, Charlie Mensel, last second, raises up and hits a shot on us at the gun. Beats us by one point. Now, really, you know what? That was, that was a good thing for us to lose that game because, we, you know, we were getting pretty cocky. We thought we, 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 thought we just ruled the roost. Mm-hmm. And uh, that brought us back to reality. And uh, then the other, one, the, the other one we lost, we lost the last second. Uh, uh, I can still see Junior Stevens at South Bend driving into the basket and laying the ball in as the gun goes off or close to it. And then the other one, uh, and that was a one-pointer, then the, the, the other one was at Kansas State. At Kansas State, they had a, they had a bomber on us at the end of the ball game. So we, we had three losses. You know, you only – you don't play thirty some games like you today. I think we were twenty three and three, but they were all with those three losses were just right, you know, just right together. Yeah. Well, you go undefeated at home. You don't lose a game in Bloomington. You make the tournament, and now we're going to get to what I was referring to before your Forrest Gump career at in the game of basketball comes face to face with a bunch of history in the national championship game where you play the Kansas Jayhawks. Please tell us and our listeners who may not know who the coach of the Kansas Jayhawks was at the time and who you had to shake hands with at half court as the captains met each other at the beginning of the game. 
Well, the the arena at at Kansas is still named after that coach. That's right. Fog Allen. Yeah, it's Fog. It was Fog. Yeah, Fog tried to put me to sleep on that free throw line. I remember that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Fog. Fog was the coach, and when I went out before the game, but before the game, the the captains, two captains, met at midcourt. Captain of the captain of the Jayhawks was none other than Dean Smith, Amazing. who later came to fame at North Carolina. And I mean, fouled me, fouled me late in the game and put me on free throw line. Yeah, so let's let before we get to that moment because we want to focus on that moment. I just want to again point out in this game you have Fog Allen, you have Dean Smith, you have Don Schlund. And you have Bobby Slick Leonard, as well as... Branch McCracken. And Branch McCracken. I mean, this is just... I mean, obviously, you don't know it in the moment, but you look back on it. Slick, when you look back on that game specifically, I mean, does it... You got to just kind of smile to know the legendary status of so many people that were involved in that specific game. It really is special. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, there's no question about it. Uh... Fog Allen, uh, well, they still got the arena. Yes, they do. <laughs> Allen Arena at the University of Kansas, and they're still winning, <laughs> and they're still getting the Final Fours. Uh, <laughs> Dean Smith is is really, you know, later Dean and I talked. We, as a matter of fact, we, uh, Dean and I talked as recent as, oh, let's see, I, I, I talked to Dean at least, three or four years before he passed away. Mm. And, you know, to, to do, to see what he did at the University of North Carolina is unbelievable. He, did, he didn't start off very good. I mean, they could have fired him. They could have fired him. But, uh, you know, have the Dean Dome built in his name, uh, what a wonderful, and he, what a terrific guy. Just a terrific guy. I can remember... He got an award that we brought him into the the, uh, the, the field house here in Indianapolis uh, at a golf outing. We we give an award and we gave uh, the dean that award that year, and uh, so he and I had a chance to visit. And uh, he just he just was such a humble humble. He was such a wonderful humble guy, and. Uh, so that yeah, that was a, that was a great meeting in half court, shaking hands with him, and uh, then Don, you know Don had uh, you know you can't you can't take away from all the things that Schlunt did, all the things that Schlunt brought to the brought to the table, and he went for thirty points and ten rebounds. That's a pretty good performance in a national championship. Yeah, he should he should have been most valuable player of the tournament, but he they, they gave it to. They gave it to uh, the center from Kansas. <laughs> Born, right? <laughs> Fouled out of the game. B.H. Born. Yeah. B.H. Born. They had to. They had to give it to the hometown favorite. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You guys were essentially playing on the road for that. That was in Kansas's backyard. What was the atmosphere like? Because I think we're we watch the game. There's no audio. It's black and white. It's one camera angle, and it's hard. To, to get a feeling for the atmosphere in that game. What was it like? Was it w was the crowd clearly against you? Was it raucous? Paint the picture for us. 
Well, it was rocking and rolling. It was rocking and rolling, but it was all KU. Mm. Jayhawks. Jayhawks. Uh, they had a damn song that they could sing. I wish I could remember it, but they, you remember that song? Nancy Zenners, you remember that song? Uh, but anyway, they had this song uh, that they sang before every game. Uh, that you, you always it's one of those songs you always remember. Yeah, the place was rocking and rolling. But you're playing, you're playing uh, in Kansas City, uh, Missouri, which is I mean you're playing right in their backyard. The first night, the first night, you know you know the favorite, the real favorite in the tournament was the University of Washington. Huh. With a center by the name of Bob Hubriggs. Uh Bob Hubriggs, who later I played against in the NBA. Uh, Bob Hubriggs, University of Washington. They were the favorite. And uh, then we had our first night opponent was Louisiana State, which had a great player and greater as the years went on by the name of Bob Pettit. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bob Pettis, I'll tell you, Bob, Bob Pettis an all-timer, and uh, he, uh, but Bob Pettit got better and better and better, and by the time that he retired, he was a legend from the NBA. I mean, Bob Pettit was great, and uh, so we beat we beat uh, Louisiana State on that first night. You shot very well that game, did you not? Yeah, I got off to about uh, I hit my first seven shots, I think. I hit my first six or seven shots. I put them to sleep right in the first quarter. <laughs> and you were a long-range bomber, too. How, how, how badly yeah. do you wish that there were three-pointers back when you played? Oh, yeah, if there were three-pointers, let's see, if I, hit, if I hit six in a row, that had been 18 points if there were three-pointers. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, that, and even later on, Bob Pettit, he said, he, said he, he, he took the game away from us in the first quarter. Which I did. I had a hot night. I had a hot, you know, you get hot, you get hot. And uh, so we, we beat them. That, that, that set up the finale. That set up the Kansas Jayhawks. So tell us, tell us how that game gets rolling against Kansas. You shake hands with Dean Smith. The ball is tipped, and away we go. Can you describe the gameplay a little bit? The game was – the game was – one of those games that uh, I can't ever remember in that game if either team had a three-point lead. It was a two-pointer, I think, the whole way. Wow. It was a two-pointer the whole way. And, I, you know, one shot that I did make that, that uh, I don't know if it was on – I think I saw it later on on that little scrubby TV thing. <laughs> uh, Kansas was up. Kansas was up one point. We had the ball out of bounds after the, uh, after they had scored or whatnot, and we got it to I got it to mid court. I got it right over mid court, and I hit a shot from there at the end of the third quarter. They played by quarters, and I hit a shot at the end that put us up by one going into the fourth quarter. Well, it was. I was watching that game, and of course, they only occasionally would cut to the scoreboard, so you'd have to try to keep track of the score in your mind, and you could not 
keep track of how much time was left. So I'm watching that, and all of a sudden, I see you just launch it from half court. I'm like, what is he doing? And then you buried it, and then they cut to the scoreboard, and I was like, oh, they it was the the clock was expiring, but. It really showed showed me that you know Steph Curry's just lucky that Slick Leonard isn't playing in the league right now, or he might not <laughs> yeah, be such a big yeah, deal. I, yeah, I hit one on him. <laughs> I hit one on him, but uh, we needed every bit of it. We needed every bit of it, and you know the fourth quarter was back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and uh, I could have ended the ball game. I could have ended the ball game when Dean was on me. And I was on the left-hand side of the court, and I drove. I drove to the basket. I got around him uh, to my left, and I went in. I laid that ball up on the board. It went around and rolled out. But he had fouled me, mm-hmm. so I had two free throws coming. I had two free Had he Had that ball went in, then I would have had, that would have been, you know, two points plus I get a free throw. Right. But uh, this way, which I think would have probably ended the ball game, but this way, 27 seconds to play. Uh, this is what we were famous for. We were famous for putting on that pressure. That's where you're, it paid off the way Branch coached at all those years of working out with full court pressure uh, paid off because in that last 27 seconds, we put a defense on them. They couldn't get a shot. They could not get a shot. And I can still remember I was out on the floor, uh, out in the guard area out in there, and, and they were trying to move the ball around. And they it was in now, now they were desperate because the clock was running out on them. And they got the ball into that left corner, into the left corner. And the guy that came in the game as a substitute for B.H. Bourne hmm. off the bench was the guy that they had to go to to get any kind of a shot at all, patient shot. And I saw that thing hit the board. Then I saw Dick White from Terrell, Indiana. I saw him get that rebound, baby, and that ball game was over. <laughs> oh. How did that feel to know you were national champs? Oh, man. Hey, you you know, uh, you know, I've won championships in my time, but uh, uh, according to the where it is in your life, where it is in your life when you win those kind of games, I mean, it was, it was ecstasy. Yeah. <laughs> it was wonderful. Fraternity brothers, I look at these pictures of that thing. Uh, sometimes they got some fans and. Uh, about three of my fraternity brothers picked me up off the floor, and, <laughs> and we're we're walking back. Uh, you know they're carrying me on their shoulders. So you know it was it was it was a wonderful thing. Uh, they didn't have the dress. Uh, the other thing is uh, the other thing uh, the other thing that I, is a great memory for me out of the thing is uh, we go into the dressing rooms. And uh, the dressing rooms were makeshift. They weren't completed. So, you know, you have to walk back to the hotel, which is a block. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we're in, we had to go into the dressing room. We're going into the dressing room. And, you know, all the TV, radio, newspaper, everybody's brothers in there. <laughs> and they're talking to Branch. 
they're talking to Branch, and uh, they got through talking to Branch, and here they come at me. And they said, uh, said, Bobby, how did you feel? How did you feel standing on that free throw line with the national championship hanging in the balance? And they said, we just talked to Coach McCracken, and he said that you had ice water in your veins. Mm-hmm. And I said, baby, if that was ice water, it sure as hell was awful warm running down my leg. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, you were scared out of your mind going to that free throw line. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, well, you know, the thing is, and I missed that first free throw. Uh, you know, so you still don't. And then Fog, Fog calls a timeout. You know, he's trying to put me in a real pressure situation. Yeah. If it wasn't, if it wasn't bad enough, he'd try to make it as bad as he could. And uh, but, but I came, came through there, and I hit that second one, and that was enough to win it. And didn't Branch uh, – and I, I heard this quote, and I, I wanted to check with you if it was accurate as to what he told you guys to do in that last 27 seconds – that at the timeout he said regarding Kansas, don't let them score, don't let them get a good shot, and oh yeah, don't foul them. Yeah, yeah. Well, the timeout, he, he said, uh, yeah, put the pressure on, don't foul them, don't put them on line. Yeah. Which any coach is going to say. That was the name of the game right then. That's all you had left to do. Right. But you did – I mean, it was a beautiful thing to watch that last 27 seconds, just the way the, all the, the, the years at that point of coaching and discipline and conditioning and, and focus, the way you all moved almost as one to just lock them down for that last 27 seconds. It really was – it was a beautiful thing to watch. And then you, you celebrate on the court, you, the classic quote in the locker room – and now you get to go home to Bloomington as, as national champs. How did that feel? What was the reception like when you came back home? Uh, it was unbelievable. Unbel- unbelievable. I wish you guys could have been there. Us too. Us too. But uh, I'll tell you, as many times as, of course, you've been in Bloomington. You've been in Bloomington. You know Martinsville. Uh, we flew. We flew into Indianapolis. And we had to take a bus from Indianapolis to Bloomington. Sure. Okay. Now we go through. We, we, we get into Martinsville. Now <laughs> it's a world of difference. <laughs> the highway that that eighteen miles, that eighteen miles that you guys been down many times. Mm-hmm. That eighteen miles from Martinsville to Bloomington, both sides of the road. Or car to car, all the way to Bloomington. Wow. All the way to Bloomington. All the way. And when we got into uh, Bloomington, got off the bus, they had convertibles there. Nancy was there waiting on me. Uh, Me and her got in the car, and the town was packed. Uh, You can can just imagine. You can just imagine that, that. it uh, it uh, was as good as that ever gets. Yes, 
That's as good if you're a basketball player at Indiana University. That's as good as it ever gets. Now, one thing we always like to do with anybody who played at Indiana and spent time in Bloomington, we always like to ask them certain things that they remember about non-basketball-related things in Bloomington. And clearly, a lot of the uh, restaurants and bars have changed since you were uh, winning national titles there in Indiana. But do you remember, did you have a favorite restaurant in Bloomington? Did you have a favorite bar? Oh, you know what? I just uh, was just down there. Kind of, kind of funny. I went down there for my either my son got a an award for scholarship or or but my daughter was with me. We were down there for some for some reason. My daughter, my old. Oh, but yeah, my 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 my, my granddaughter Katie was graduating. Okay. Was graduating. So uh, my oldest daughter, Terry, was with us. And she said to me, she said to me and her mom, she said, let's go over to Nick's English Hut mm-hmm. and have a beer. <laughs> yes. Got to do it. Nancy said, Nancy never drank a beer, but Terry would drink one. And so we went over to Nick's English Hut, which is still famous to this day. As a matter of fact, the guy told me, that owned owned the Budweiser distributorship in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. He said they sell more draft beer, draft beer, at Nick's English Hut than any place in the state of Indiana. Wow! No kidding. <laughs> by the way, by the way, I went to college with Ward. I think he was singly responsible for it. <laughs> hey, hey! I just wanted to keep the local businesses going. Well, you know that you know you guys. Hey boys, what a great what a great place! You can have a great time, but but the big thing for Nancy and I, for Nancy and I, we we became very close to two people down there that owned a grill on Main Street there, across from the courthouse, mm-hmm. called Burger's Grill. There was just the two of them. There was Mid Burger and Bob Burger. She was the biggest IU fan that you could ever imagine. She never missed a game. They were older. But Nancy and I used to go to Burger's Grill, but not only did we go there, we went out to the house. We went out to their house all the time. Oh, that's great. Mid and Bob Burger at Burger's Grill. I, I hope they served good hamburgers. They had the greatest hamburgers <laughs> and chili. All the stuff that you guys, you, you couldn't afford much more than that, but I mean, yeah. out there, it would yeah, be, you couldn't afford It would be really unfortunate for them if they were really good at cooking fish with a name like Burger. <laughs> I mean, right? They had to cook good burgers. Burgers, yeah. You got to go to Burger's Grill to get a burger. <laughs> yep. So you're, you're heading into your senior year uh, as the defending national champs, and I think this is a great time to bring up your success against the Purdue Boilermakers during your career in Bloomington. Can you tell us how many times you beat them and how many times they beat you? Well, you know, we couldn't play our freshman year. We had to play freshman ball. Mm -hmm. So the round robin, you play everybody twice. So in three years, we played Purdue. Six times. Yeah. 
I'll tell you one thing. It was 6-0. Yes, yes. 6-0. They never did beat us. And if you look in the records today, if you look in the records today, Purdue-Indiana series, which dates way back, way back, most points scored in that game was in 1953 at Bloomington. At Bloomington, we beat Purdue 113 to 78. Oh, that is beautiful. <laughs> in Bloomington. That now, I'm going to tell, tell you a little story about that game. Please. The, the coach, had, I got to the newspaper the day before the game and said, you know, we, we cannot play – these guys one-on-one. We can't play them one-on-one. We're going to have to play zone defense. Well, so they set up their zone at the start of that game. And at the five-minute mark of that game, at a timeout, Purdue was down 21 to nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a kid... There's a kid from Bedford, Indiana, that come off their bench, and God bless him, he's passed away. But I can remember him, and he, he, he turned to the coach, and he said, Coach, does anybody ever get skunked in this game? <laughs> that is so good. By the way, did you know, and I just looked it up while you were talking about it, that game was the first 100-point game in Big Ten history? It was the first what? It was the first time a Big Ten team scored 100 points in a Big Ten game. Is that right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's why they called us the Hurry and Hoot. That's right. <laughs> now, i got to ask this before we talk a little bit about your senior year, and I'm not trying to get you in trouble here, but clearly you had this amazing career as a coach and then the announcer for the Indiana Pacers, where it really is the team for the whole state. That said... You're there at those games. You see a lot of people wearing Pacers gear, obviously, but you'll see a lot of IU shirts, and you will see some Purdue shirts. Now, come on. I know that you were with the team for the whole state, but when you would see those Purdue shirts, there had to be a little part of you that was like, I don't like those guys, right? <laughs> well, you know what? When you're in college, you know, it's such a rivalry. Purdue-Indiana is such a rivalry. It still is. This year at the football game uh, was, you know, I, I couldn't wait to watch that football game. Yeah. You know, the, the the president of Purdue University, the president of Purdue University, called, I became friends with him when he was governor of the state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. Sure. And Nancy and I became friends with, with, with Mitch Daniels uh, when he was with, with the state. We went to the two games. Nancy and I went to the two games with Mitch and his wife when uh, Butler made it to the Final Four two years in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went with him. We went with him. And after the first night, because I don't like to be around crowds, and after that first night, uh, they won. And uh, Mitch, Mitch turns to us and he said, you guys got to come and go on Monday night. You got you can't bring us no bad luck, so we had to go, go back go back on Monday night. But Mitch calls and says, "Hey, that football game 
I'll send a limo. I'll send a limo down there for you and Nancy, and you can set up in the press box with me. <laughs> that's great. That's pretty good. That's pretty good from the president of university. Pretty great. Yeah, that's the it's, way to do it. It's really a shame you had to end your friendship with Mitch Daniels when he took the job as president of Purdue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he, boy, he, well, he's a great guy. Great guy. That was a great job. I do, I do have to ask this. Of course, we were able to have uh, this conversation happen with you today because of my dear high school buddy who is a colleague of yours there at the Pacers, Jeremiah Johnson. Oh, yeah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, he's great. That's a great job. He, he does, he does. We came up together uh, doing some sports reporting for the local access cable channel in Peru, Indiana, and he told me in, in doing my prep for our conversation today that you used to make your way up to uh, to Peru to hang out with the legendary Bob Biddle, who, you know, had been known to wear some Purdue gear, but uh, you you overcame that. And did you, you spent some time up in Peru back in the day? Oh, boy, you just hit one, you just hit one for Nancy and I both right there. Yeah? <laughs> man, oh, man. I'm going to tell you now, today's Memorial Day. Nancy and I both uh, give thanks to, to Bob. Uh these guys were up in Peru, Nancy, with Bob Bill. Yeah. Oh, you you can't believe the stuff I went through with old Bob, man. He, what a dear friend he was. We I used to take the kids up there to that old gym. The Tigerina. Back when I, yeah, when I had the Earth Jones territory. And we had a little pickup game with some guys around there. The, one was an athletic director someplace. Another was a football coach. We used to, we used to, play uh, a pickup game on like on a Tuesday night and uh, Bob Biddle was a I had him down here he did some work on the scores table with the Pacers when I was coaching oh no but, kidding uh, Bob Biddle was Bob Biddle was one of a kind and his wife Peggy taught school right across the street that old house yeah they they were uh, they were wonderful people and uh, yeah, Nancy and I, Nancy and I both miss the bids. We miss them dearly. So just like uh, we don't tend to remember all the names of the players on teams that we lose with, we're not going to focus that much on your senior year where we weren't able to defend the championship. But you did have another amazing year, both personally and as a team. You win another Big Ten championship. What do you remember as highlights from that senior year, your last year in Bloomington? Well, the last year in Bloomington, uh, we were rated number one in the country the whole damn year. Uh, and uh, we won the Big Ten Championship, which you had to do. Uh, I can't remember the record of winning that. 18 games. Uh, how many games do we win? You were at? well. You were going into the NCAA tournament. You were 19 and three over overall, and 12 and two in the conference. Well, we're in the same circumstance. I mean, we're ready. We're ready to try to win the daggone thing. You know, we're we're keyed up to win the thing. And uh, here we're going against Notre Dame again. Notre Dame again. That same Notre Dame ball club. And let me let me say this: that, that Notre Dame ball club back back in my days at IU, that Notre Dame ball club was a good one. Was a really good ball club. Sure. And you know, 
I had sat with that athletic director, like I told you, when I was a senior in high school. And had I, had I made that kind of choice, I'd been on that team. I'd been on that Notre Dame team. But at any rate, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, in that game against Notre Dame in the NCAA tournament, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, we all, with the exception of Burke Scott, we all had a bad ball game. We all had a bad ball game. And there was a play, though. There was a play. We were down one point. We were down one. And I stole the ball at half court. I went in for a layup. And I got up in the air on the layup and got it up on the board. But Dick Rosenthal... Notre Dame center got back and now there was a question. Did I charge him or did he foul me? That was a question for, for a national championship right there. Right. And he got the call. They called me a charge and foul. They gave me, uh, they gave me credit for the basket, credit for the basket. The gun's already gone off. But he's got two free throws coming, and Notre Dame's down one. Wow. Well, you know what happened. Man. Wow. Oh, Rosie, oh, Rosie, he's a good buddy of mine. Oh, Rosie, he stood up there at the free throw line and uh, knocked down two free throws to beat us, beat us by one. Well, the basketball gods knew that there was a lot more winning and championships to come in Bobby Slick Leonard's career, so they gave Notre Dame a little victory there. Uh, because yeah. they knew what was ahead. I, I have to tell you, Slick, we've been on the phone with you. You've been so generous to give us a couple hours here, and we're just at the end of your Indiana University career. There is so much to cover with your NBA playing career and then ABA and NBA coaching career and announcing career. We would love to set up a second part some sometime in the next few weeks to cover that stuff if you are open for it, if you haven't had enough of us. Oh yeah, all you have to do, all you have to do, you guys call Nancy on her cell phone. Yep, we will. On her cell, and we'll set it up, okay? Uh, we'll do. I got to tell you, before we let you go, this has been just an honor and a privilege of a lifetime to be able to hear you talk to us about this game that we love, this state that we love, and of course, this school that means so much to us. Uh, I thank you, and I think you're incredible, as Ward so eloquently put it, the best teammate you've ever had, Nancy, to allow us this time. You are a treasure to basketball and especially to Indiana University. Cannot thank you enough, Slick. Well, hey, it's, it's real nice being with both of you. Both of you are IUers. That makes you special. <laughs> and uh, I'll wait to hear from you in a couple of weeks or so. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Slick. Take care of yourself, and, and we'll talk soon. Have a good Memorial Day. You too, sir. Eric. Oh, what just happened? It, it, I, I, I can't process what we just heard about. I, we, just, we just heard in-depth, detailed, humorous anecdotes 
from the 1953 national champion captain, Bobby Slick Leonard. And this is where what I want to bring up with you in this outro is where this gentleman stands, not just in the pantheon of, of great Indiana University Hoosiers, but if you're constructing, sculpting a Mount Rushmore to the most important, iconic figures in the state of Indiana for the game of basketball, there is no doubt he is one of the four faces that's chiseled into that. I think there's three that are no doubters. Yep, I, I, I bet they're the same. Go ahead. Branch. Yep. Well, me? What? Well, look, the, when you, you... Branch cemented the legacy of Indiana University being the epicenter of basketball for the state. That's fair. That's fair. And, and Branch is in the discussion. Knight, I'm not Bobby yes, Knight. Absolutely. And Slick. I put... And look, before this interview, I would have said Slick is on the Mount Rushmore because of just the career. You know, right. winning a national title at Indiana, playing in the NBA, but then winning three titles with the ABA and the Pacers, being the first coach of the Pacers in the NBA, and then the announcer and being the ambassador. I would have said that puts him on. I had no idea he's the reason why Bobby Knight had a chance to be coach of Indiana Hoosiers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not even joking. There is some, no, I, I'd never heard that he story. He turned it down twice. I had no idea. But, but look, and it goes back to, to George McGinnis a guy who is as good as it's ever been at the high school level in the state, at the college level, and then at the professional level. And one, one title, yeah. And, and so with, with Slick in his own way, he won that national championship for Indiana. He, he not only won three ABA championships with the Pacers, never mind, oh yeah, he was on the Lakers and the first LA Laker team and he played with Elgin Baylor and you know got his nickname from George Mikan. Okay, but that, that was his, his brief few years outside of the state. Then he came back, made the Pacers the greatest ABA franchise ever and saved the franchise. And then when you start to get into it, not only did he and his wife, Nancy, with the telethon, basically yeah. save the franchise, get Market Square Arena built, and then provide uh, a downtown Indianapolis that would then say, yeah, you know what, we should get the Colts here, and on and on. So you can start to make this case of how he's one of the most important figures in, in the, the state history, of Indiana. In the history of, of, of certainly modern. Indianapolis. Yeah. And so that's where I'm like, okay, so I think you made a really good point about Branch being the one who made all eyes turn to IU. And to a large extent, Indiana University is still the most important team, basketball team in the state of Indiana from a fan base, of course, from a history point of view. But, but also, Ward, I think to look at it more nationally, I'm not sure there's a more important program to a state, period. Sure, that's fair. Do you know what I well, mean? Well, Kentucky. I mean, they have yeah, Louisville. Okay, so so there's maybe three or four in the, out of mm -hmm. fifty. Actually, there's not four. No, maybe like, there's like three. Two. Right. So, but branches is a huge reason why that is true. But you also have to think about Larry Bird, because he was an incredible high school player. He took ISU, who had no business going to a national championship, and then he came back and was. The, the, the coach. Yeah. He got real lucky to come in at that time. He didn't build that Pacers team. It, that was his first year. That team was handed to him. 
well, okay, but why was it handed to him? And why did and why did they get to the level they did? That's like I know, but but he was a real good coach. Yes, he was a bad executive. He was as bad as he was good. I'll put it that way. He made some good decisions. He made some really bad ones too. And he the pace the Pacers with being a small market team have been like in the playoffs every year since he's been associated with that franchise. But he's not. I think you are underrating what he's been able to do with relatively little I think resources. He's fine. I don't think he's great. And I think his greatness is with a different state and a different city. And he is much more recognized for that city and that state than he is Indiana at this point. Well, but from Indiana's point of view, for him, you know, he didn't have control in the way McGinnis did as oh, to I'm, where he could play I'm his I'm not saying it's his fault. Who do the citizens of the, but I would the give state it to of McGinnis Indiana over Bird? Yeah, I would too. That's my four. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is right now, like right now, and I'm not saying the people are always right for a myriad of reasons. Right. We know they're not, but there's a good chance they vote Larry Bird in as opposed to Branch McCracken. Yeah, they're wrong. That is your That's definitely opinion. your opinion. <laughs> yeah, of course. But but like, let's focus on the consensus that we know that Bobby Slick Leonard, his face is up there, and and it's amazing. You can say that so definitively about this man while we're like having a serious debate of like, well, is Larry Bird yeah. on there? Like, come no, on. Let's, let's refocus on Slick because what he talked us through, I mean, the history that that man has lived in the world of basketball and how it connects to Normandy and Okinawa and, I mean, just the, the cultural touch points. And we didn't even, and we will in part two, get to Vietnam and how that affected you know his life and how that kind of played a part. Well, and he served himself yeah. after he left Bloomington. He went into the service for two, for years, two years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and we'll get to that. Like it's um, a, but the sharpness of his mind. He's got. I don't remember. I don't remember what my kids did yesterday. Right. He's remembering the entire roster from. Almost 70 years ago. Mm -hmm. It is remarkable. It, he is a remarkable human being. And it opens this window, like a technicolor window, because when you have this, this, this old 16 millimeter film footage silent of the national like championship that game. That old scrubby TV thing. Yeah. And shout out to Galen Clavio for having that on his YouTube channel. And you guys should watch that game. He even says in the description, there's no audio, so it's kind of a lonely viewing experience. But I turned on some music and watched that. And Did you just play the Hoosiers theme? Th that's the, right. The Hoosiers that, score that, while you watched that's it? That's right. That and this is Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> and the Hoosier Hysterics theme song, oh, just yeah. over and over. You know, I, don't, I, I'm, I could never get tired of that one. Uh, and, and, and boy, like... One thing I do want to talk to him about in part two is what are you more amazed by how much the game has changed or how much it stayed the same? Because you watch that game and yeah, it's got funny, skinny little, uh, um, the, the, the lanes, the, the free throw lanes are considerably closer and all that good stuff. But you know, he's launching them from the outside. They're running up and down. But that speaks more again to branch. Because Branch t changed the game of basketball. Ahead of his game. Yeah, uh, ahead of the time. He didn't just win. You, that, know? That you would never have known that there was no shot clock right. in 1953 because those guys were running up and down. But look, it's also, there are coaches that are transcendent. There are great coaches. And then there are coaches that are transcendent. 
what Bobby Knight did was transcendent. He changed an offensive scheme, created his own, took bits and pieces from other people and created his own motion offense, and it changed the game. Branch McCracken changed the game. People were running the clock out, scores were very low, and he was like, well, we're going to play up-tempo. And you, you talk about the more things change, the more they stay the same. My God, we're in an era of basketball now, except for in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. But we're in an era of basketball, literally on pickup games, on blacktop courts across the country, where people are taking step-back threes, and it's about spacing, and don't pound the ball into the post. I mean, I'm sure you were like this when you were a kid, and I was a kid. If you played pickup games, there was a big man. You fed him the ball. Like, that's how, it's not how it is anymore. And Branch McCracken was playing that style, even with a great big man. Don Schlunt, who we hear today, could shoot from the outside. I yeah. didn't really know that. Yeah, he hit one near top of the key in that championship game. And and he's Forrest Gump. I mean, I go back to, he. Bobby Slick Leonard is the Forrest Gump of basketball. I mean, everybody, Fog Allen, Dean Smith, Branch McCracken. There was a great article that was just put out, I think it was Bob Kravitz, about how many close encounters and relationships and associates he had just with the people in the last dance. It was a whole article on just the people that, you know, those circles he moved with. Well, picking his brain in the next one about those great players that he either coached or let's start with played with, played against, coached, or met through announcing. And oftentimes when you're an announcer, you build these really cool relationships, especially when you're a guy there for decades that you, you have this like legendary status. So when the other players come to town, they pay their respects to you. And I'm very curious about his take on Michael and Isaiah and Magic and Bird as a player. And then, you know, obviously Bird as a coach and, and you know, colleague really with the Pacers. Absolutely. And, and it's fun to talk to him about Bloomington back then. you had the passion and the community around the program already at that point. You, you thought, did it just get to this raucous fever pitch of fandom in, in the Bobby Knight era? Because we know, we know what it was like just when we beat Purdue in a regular season game, how nuts Bloomington would be that night when you went to Kirkwood. But to know that in 1953, there was 18 miles of like three deep cars on either side of 37 leading into Bloomington. And that once they got there, it was just a sea of humanity cheering them on. Like this, this fever, this hysteria you and I have and share with all our listeners, that's been going strong since before most of us were even born. It's, it's, it's been something that has brought the state and its people together even, even before Slick Leonard. And as Slick said many times in the call, we're, we're taping this, uh, recording this on Monday. We're going to release it tomorrow. Hell yeah. It's Memorial Day. And you have eight veterans who have all passed who, who survived the beaches of Okinawa and Japan to come back to Terre Haute, Indiana and build a nine-year-old kid a basketball goal in the alley behind Sullivan's. And that helped cement what became a life 
that has touched emotionally and viscerally so many fans, so many people in the state of Indiana and beyond. Uh, it was one it's, of... It's, it's overwhelming, truthfully, when you think about the scope of all the things that had to happen that set up Bobby Slick Leonard to be Bobby Slick Leonard. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's an incredible. It's a nice memorial on uh, on Memorial Day. It really is. It was, it was one of three times watching his Hall of Fame speech. I found myself crying, which I did not expect. But everybody it, should go watch that. By the way, it, it just makes you realize in an even deeper and different way as to why it is more than just a game in our beloved state and you know that those guys to to not only to defend freedom and liberty around the world but then to come home take a kid like that who who did not have really anything and to give him just something to do never mind the future it set right. him up for and that they even figured out how to he said in the the hall of fame speech they put a a, a light up in the oak right, tree so right next to it so he could play at night in the morning. I remember when my dad got a light put up in our driveway so I could play out at night and it didn't work out for me at all, Yeah, <laughs> you know, but because of, of, of those guys who came back and were so, so selfless, um, both with their, their own lives. And, and then when they, they did return to, to, to look out for a kid who, who essentially they'd made sure this kid had, the kind of country they wanted him to grow up in and then to follow him and, and follow root for him, him through his career. It's, it's such a beautiful thing. It is. Um, and it also just makes me think, you know, we've gotten to know a little bit Jordan Geronimo and Anthony Leal and Trey Calloway. I mean, these are kids that are 17 years old. Trace Jackson Davis, Armand Franklin. They're wearing the same... Well, not the same colored jersey, but they're wearing... Who knew? Yeah. I didn't know the Hurrian Hoosiers wore true cream and crimson because oh, it's I, all, all like... Yeah, I did know that there was a change. I didn't know when exactly the change happened, but it has always bothered me a little bit that we're the cream and crimson, but we do not wear cream or crimson. It is weird. It's weird. Um, but anyway, I, I hope those kids at some point in their Indiana lives, before they leave Bloomington, I hope they hear... George McGinnis and Bobby Slick Leonard and Tom and Dick Van Arsdale talk about what it meant to them. I mean, at the end of that, this man who's never met us, who, you know, I mean, we're just two nobody idiots out here in L.A. who went through Indiana. You grew up in Peru, obviously. And he says, you're from IU, so that makes you special. Like, that is what wearing that jersey means. And... I'm not saying it makes you make a three-pointer where you wouldn't have made a three-pointer before, but it sure as hell will give you pride in what the hell you're doing there in Bloomington. And I just hope that for those kids' sake, it will make their time at Indiana all the more meaningful if they spend a little time learning about those guys who did it 70 years ago. Unbelievable. Like, he's, he's so old school that his thoughts on the candy stripes, on the colors, <laughs> even the names on the back of the jerseys, like, it predates the old school guys yeah. now who are, like, staunch defenders of, like, well, back in the day. Yeah. No, and, he knows what it was and, back in the day. <laughs> yeah, he's like... Yeah. He was the day. So it sort of reframes the argument of of what is the classic traditional take 
on these iconic uniforms and warm-ups of Indiana. It, it sort of fucked yeah. me up, if I'm being <laughs> honest. And I got to tell you, man, it's just such a... He just wants to be able to know who the guys are. Yeah. Like, I, I okay, then put the names on the back. Like, I've always been a don't put the names on the back. No, but then I, you hear him say that, and I'm like... I still... It, I, it makes me rethink it. It makes me rethink it. I don't think I'm going to change my position, but it's really hard not to to understand where he's coming from and knowing how many uh, seniors across the state of Indiana that that would really, you know, it would just help them get more invested in these players on the current team as individuals because they're not just numbers, but they, they can track them better. Here's what I say. Okay. I say we go outside, we spend six, we stand six feet apart from each other. Yep. We smoke a cigar on this Memorial Day to celebrate being able to talk to the legend Bobby Slick Leonard. Let's let's just let that conversation soak in. We won't talk. We'll just smoke and <laughs> yeah. think about what we happened. We talk to each other enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a, follow plenty. us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I, but, but the sometimes, sometimes why. Uh, we will be back at you next week. Hope everybody out there is staying safe. Happy belated Memorial Day when you listen to this tomorrow. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang on all the banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.